Praise the Lord for another another session in the ministry series. <clears throat> and uh, if you were with us last week, do you remember what the topic was last week? We finished Genesis, uh, you know, during the semester we were in Genesis, but then uh, uh, we started a new topic, which was what? Anybody remember? <laughs> we're getting into... The intrinsic significance of the church, uh, particularly from the Gospel of John. And in John, we see a number of different aspects of the church that really show us what is the intrinsic significance of the church. And last week, we started with John 14. And in John 14, we see that the church is the Father's house. Um, and the Father's house, we saw last week, was a mutual abode. Uh, it's God dwelling in man and man dwelling in God. And you might remember uh, Tim C. was here sharing last week and he had a, uh, he had a brother sit up here uh, on a throne. And he had a little footstool. And uh, that... That was just an illustration of these verses in Isaiah 66, where it says, um, the Lord says, The heavens are my throne, and the earth is my footstool. But where is the place of my rest? Where is the house or the dwelling place, the place of my rest? And he says, To this man will I look, who is poor and of a contrite spirit. So God's dwelling place is in man. This has been on his mind from eternity past. He has longed to have a dwelling place uh, in man, in humanity. God wants to dwell in humanity. And he, he created us in his image and in his likeness uh, as a vessel to contain him. That's why we're here. There's no other purpose, right? But to be filled with him. Uh, so we saw this in John 14. Um, where in verse 2 it mentions the Father's house, and, and that whole topic was developed last week. Now we come to John 15 to see the church from another angle, to see the in, intrinsic significance of the church from another angle, and that is the topic tonight. Uh, let's read the title together. Go. The church as the sun's vine. The church as the sun's vine. Did you ever realize the church was a vine <laughs> that belongs to the Son, the Son of God? Well, what I thought we could do, uh, just as an introduction, is to read through these verses from John uh, 15. And maybe we'll just alternate. How about this half of the room? Read verse 1, this half on verse 2. And we'll just go back and forth. We'll read through just to get the context. And then we'll go back and, and uh, say some things about these verses. Okay, go ahead on this side. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is dried up they gather them and cast them into the fire they are burned in this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will become my disciples As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. My commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I set you that you should go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you may love one another." Okay, praise the Lord. We didn't include all the verses just to save space, but we have the key verses here to see that this vine uh, represents uh, the intrinsic significance of the church. And in verse 4, where the Lord says, Abide in me and I in you. You may recall last week in speaking of the Father's house, in chapter 14, verse 2, The Lord said, in my Father's house are many abodes. That word is the noun form of this word here, abide. In my Father's house are many abiding places, many abodes. So then we come to John 15, and the Lord says, I'm the vine, my Father's the husbandman. Um, You need to abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Uh, So here, again, you see this mutual abiding. But now, instead of talking about the Father's house as a dwelling place, it's talking about a vine, which is a living organism. A vine is a living organism. And uh, uh, in order for us to to consider the church as a living organism, what what does an organism do? An organism, besides being living, it also multiplies and it spreads, it propagates itself, and it also expresses uh, the riches that are hidden within, uh, you could say, the genetic makeup of that organism. Uh, But it's marvelous that the church here is likened to a vine because a vine doesn't just stay in one place, right? It spreads as it grows. It spreads out. And this vine is a universal vine tree that's uh, uh, spreading out throughout the whole universe. Praise the Lord. It's a universal vine tree. It's the organism of the triune God for his multiplication, uh, for his spread, and for his expression. 
uh, point one says, as branches of the sun's vine, we need to abide in the vine. If we really see that we are branches, um, then spontaneously we should have the realization, I have to abide. Uh, under point one, there's four letters uh, with the bulk of the, the message on point D. So that's where I want to spend my time. But let's just work our way through these letters here. A says, abiding, our abiding in Christ as the vine depends on our seeing a clear vision that we are branches in the vine. We have to see, we have to see what we are. Right? If we don't see what we are, then we're not even going to have the thought that I need to abide. If you don't see on your bank account statement that comes every month that somebody secretly deposited a million dollars in your bank account, you would be very frugal when you consider, should I go out to eat tonight or should I just stay home and save some money? Uh, That would be your thought, right? But if you saw that bank statement and realized somebody had secretly deposited a million dollars in your bank account, that would change everything. You might not just go out to eat. You might go out to a good place. (laughs) But our seeing means a lot, right? Our seeing means a lot. We need to have a clear vision that we are branches in the vine. Then B says, apart from the vine, we are nothing. We have nothing and we can do nothing. I think we all need to read this statement together. Go. Okay, uh, Will, come up here a second. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> okay, let's say Will is a vine, and here's a branch, okay? Now, this branch is connected to the trunk. It's drawing its life supply from the trunk, the blood flow, the circulation. Of course, plants don't have blood, but there's a circulation of sap uh, running down the phloem and running up the xylem. And, uh, and because of that, uh, it's possible for fruit to come out, for flowers to be produced and fruit and an expression of what, what this thing is. But if I were to chop this arm off, right, chop off this branch, what can that, what can that branch do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? Thanks, Will. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. This, this needs to be burned into our being, right? That if we are separated from the trunk, from the vine, as a branch, we're as good as dead. We can do nothing. Whatever we do is nothing. This is a strong verse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's hard for us because we are independent beings. Uh, We were taught from a young age we need to grow up and become independent, right? Um, Get educated so we can get a good job, so we can be independent. But that's not the divine view of where we fit into God's purpose, right? In God's purpose, we are dependent beings. We need to be uh, abiding in the vine all the time, drawing uh, from the Lord, drawing his life supply. Otherwise, whatever we do is counted as nothing in the eyes of God. 
Then C says, only when the branches abide in the vine can the vine be everything to them. What I want to impress you with with this point is that the vine, which is Christ, he wants to be everything to you. He wants to be everything to you. I think for some Christians, they might have the thought, well, I can worship the Lord and enjoy him from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, He can be that much to me. But I still have a need for pleasure. I still have a need for, uh, you know, doing my job, taking care of my family, uh, all kinds of things. But did you know that the the vine wants to be everything to you? He wants to be your pleasure. He wants to be your enjoyment. He wants to be your occupation. He wants to be your protection. He wants to be your provision. Everything that you could possibly need, He can be. Ultimately, we should not have to look outside of Christ for anything, right? Everything is in Him. Everything is in Christ. And Christ is everything to us. But only when we, when the branches abide in the vine can the vine be everything to them. So it's very important that we practice abiding in the Lord. Abiding in the Lord. We didn't grow up abiding in the Lord, but at a certain point in our life... The gospel came, we heard the good news, we repented, we believed, we got regenerated, we got born again, and we got grafted into the vine and began to partake of the sap of the vine. Uh, But because that's not the way we started in our life, we're not used to abiding. We need to practice. We need to practice. Um, You know, the more we practice abiding in the Lord, the more... Uh, it will just happen spontaneously. And we'll have a definite sense within when we're not abiding. And we, don't, we won't like that sense, and we'll want to get back in to the vine as soon as possible. So let's move on to point D now. D, let's read D together. To abide in the Lord is to be one spirit with Him. That is to live in the mingled spirit. And all together on the verse... But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Praise the Lord. One spirit. There's God, the Holy Spirit. There's man with a human spirit. And when we opened and received him by repenting and believing, the Holy Spirit came into our human spirit and the two spirits are now one spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The two spirits are mingled together as one spirit. And the New Testament repeatedly tells us we need to walk in spirit. We need to pray in spirit. We need to serve in spirit. We need to do all things in spirit. We need to live in the mingled spirit. And that's what it means to abide in the Lord, to be one spirit with him, to live in the mingled spirit. So what I have here, number one through five, is just some practical points on how to abide in the mingled spirit. How to live in the mingled spirit. What does it look like to have a life that's abiding in the vine? And there's there's more. 
Right? These are just a few helpful points. Number one says a life of morning revival. A life of morning revival. Let's read Psalm 5-3 together. Go. Oh, Jehovah, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will set forth my words in order to you, and I will watch. Well, this is one of, of dozens and dozens of verses in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, that show us that the seekers of God had this practice of rising early in the morning to have a fresh touch with the Lord every day. O Jehovah, in the morning you will hear my voice. I will set forth my words in order to you. The morning is a special time. When we wake up in the morning, actually it's really a picture of resurrection. We've been asleep, we've been in the grave, quote, quote, you know, and we resurrect in the morning uh, and we want to meet the Lord. We want to have a fresh touch with the Lord. And the Lord is so fresh in the morning. In Lamentations 3, it says his mercies and compassions are new every morning. Every morning. In Exodus 16, the Lord is likened to manna there. The manna that came down from heaven and fed the children of Israel every day for 40 years. In John 6, the Lord said, that was me. I'm the real bread that came down from heaven. But when you studied Exodus 16, you see that that manna was there in the morning for a short period of time. And when the sun came up and got hot, it melted away. So to have that fresh experience of the Lord as manna every morning, we have to be there first thing in the morning. When we first wake up, uh, we need to reach out and touch the Lord. Exercise our spirit to enjoy the Lord. Uh, to speak to the Lord. Like it says here by the psalmist, you will hear my voice in the morning. Amen. And then two says, a life of confessing. Uh, let's read this verse together. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Go. The reason we have this verse here, you know, we will fall. Right? We're going to fall again and again and again because we still have the sin nature constituted in our flesh causing us to fall. But listen, when we fall, we need to rise up again. And we have the boldness to rise up because we have the blood of Jesus. Uh, we can confess our sins to the Lord, and when we do, He is faithful and righteous to cleanse us of every sin, to wash away all unrighteousness, uh, that we could stand before Him and enjoy Him, and be in His presence. Uh, to confess our sins to the Lord is one of the key ways, one of the primary ways to exercise our spirit, because our spirit includes our conscience. And our conscience is the part of our being that bothers us, that convicts us when we're wrong, when we've sinned, when we've offended the Lord uh, and uh, offended other people. We need to apologize. apologize. We need to confess. Lord, I did this. Lord, I said that. As soon as we confess, He is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from every sin. So we rise up again. Uh, 3 says, a life of being in the Word. 
Let's read this verse together. As newborn babes long for the guileless milk of the word, in order that by it you may grow unto salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's interesting. You would think it would say, if you have tasted that the word is good. Long for the guileless milk of the word. If you have tasted that the word is good. But he says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. When we come to the Word, we need to come to get the Lord. The Lord is embodied in the Word. When we touch the Word uh, with our spirit, we get the Lord. We taste the Lord. We enjoy the Lord. We get God dispensed into our being. We get the sap from the vine flowing through us as a branch uh, when we come to the Word in that way. You know, many Christians come to the Word in the way of studying it, analyzing it, uh, tearing it apart. Well, there's a time for study, and we do need to get into it uh, in that kind of way. But the main way that we have to come to the Word is to get food, to get spiritual food, to get God dispensed into our being. In Matthew 4, 4 says, uh, Man shall not live on, on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. That shows the significance, the importance of the Word of God. It's our food. It's like the daily bread. You can't live without your daily food, right? In the same way, when we come to the Word of God, we're coming to get the Lord as our real food. These, all these, these practices to help us live in the mingled spirit uh, are uh, things that we need to cultivate while we're young. Uh, if you develop these habits while you're young, you know what? They'll stay with you for the rest of your life. Develop a habit of rising early in the morning to touch the Lord, to gather the manna, to enjoy Him, uh, His new mercies and compassions every morning. Uh, develop a habit of confessing, even keeping short accounts with the Lord. Don't let too much time pass under the bridge, uh, you know, after you've offended the Lord. Otherwise, you know, it's like dirt just begins to accumulate on your conscience and your conscience grows dim. And before you know it, you're wondering, is there even a Lord? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> We need to have a short account with the Lord. As soon as we sense that we're wrong in our conscience, we need to confess it to the Lord. Even if it's the hundredth time you've done that thing. Even if it's the one thousandth time. It doesn't matter. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of every sin. Every sin. And all unrighteousness. And then also develop a habit of being in the Word, even being in the Word daily to get your daily bread, right? Um, okay, let's go on to number four. It says a life of prayer, pray reading, and calling on the name of the Lord. I just lumped these all together because, you know, calling on the name of the Lord is the simplest kind of prayer, right? Um and when we're reading the Word, it's good to pray, pray the Word that you've been reading. In uh, Daniel, <clears throat> how about, we have, how about uh, 
The brothers read verse 2, sisters on 3, and everybody on 19. Go. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by means of the scriptures the number of the years which came as the word of Jehovah to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. That is 70 years. So I set my face toward the Lord God and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. Do not delay for your own sake. I put these verses here because they're such an excellent illustration of prayer, of pray reading, and of calling on the name of the Lord. You know, Daniel was such a person. He was reading the scriptures. He was reading Jeremiah. And as he was reading, he got really touched. The light came and he began to pray the scripture that he was reading. He began to pray, read the word. And as he's praying, he's calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. It's too marvelous, right? Such a, such a wonderful example of prayer, pray reading and calling on the name of the Lord. Earlier this week, a, a brother and I were fellowshipping about pray reading. Um, and we were looking at um, a writing. Uh, a Christian sister wrote this in 1685. Her name was Madame Guyon. Uh, she was in France. And she wrote about her experience of praying the word of God. And in fact, uh, her, her book, um, <clears throat> it was copied and it was distributed and whole villages in France were getting revived uh, because they began to practice what she wrote about. Coming to the word and she describes it like a bee coming to a flower and just lingering there until it got all the nectar out of that flower. And then the bee moves on to another flower and lingers there until it gets all the juice out of that flower. And the flowers are like the words or the phrases of the verse that we're reading over. And the lingering and drawing the nectar is the uh, prayer, right? Praying over the word, praying over the phrases in the scripture that we're enjoying. And we're getting all the sap, uh, the juice, uh, from every word and every phrase. And uh, whole villages in France were getting revived around 1685 by reading this. So much so that the, uh, the religious institution of the day instigated the government to throw her in prison. And they gathered up all her books and they burned them publicly. That's the kind of impact that pray reading will have on your life. <laughs> this is serious it's serious to pray read the word of God it will change your life you know I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for this message tonight but as I was getting into it and putting the outline together I realized you know what actually I've been preparing for the last 27 years These matters, brothers and sisters, 
Young people, these matters need to be constituted into your being. They need to become your daily habit. Have a habitual living of morning revival, of confessing, of being in the Word, of prayer, pray reading, calling on the name of the Lord. These are habits that need to be developed while we're young. You know, when a tree is growing, if it's bent and it continues to grow, eventually it just gets thicker and thicker going in a bent direction. And uh, after a number of years, you can't turn it upright. But if it's young, it's very flexible. If it's bent a little bit, you know what? You can pull it back with some string and tie it up and make it upright and it'll grow upright. While you're young, develop these habits. You might think, well, when I get older, you know, when I get out of college, then I'll have more time to read the Bible. When I get out of college, I'll have more time to, uh, uh, to, what, to get up early in the morning and have a morning revival. I'll have more time for prayer. You're wrong. <laughs> That's a false concept. You have more time now than you ever will for the rest of your life. More free time. You know what, Abishek? One day you're probably going to get married. You're going to have children. You're going to have a real job uh, with a demanding boss. You're going you're to have in-laws with all kinds of problems and illnesses. You think you're going to have more time when you get older? No. But listen, if you develop these habits while you're young, they will stay with you for the rest of your life. And you will fight to have these times. Uh, We need to practice, brothers and sisters, we need to practice living in the mingled spirit. Uh, One more thing I would say here. uh, In Daniel's prayer, he says, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. That little word, oh, that's an important word. That little word, O, is a spirit locator. You know, sometimes something just hits us and we don't know what's going on. Uh, Where's my spirit? Which way is up and down? But you just call, O, Lord Jesus. That first little O, it just helps you locate your spirit. Lord Jesus. Practice calling, oh, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. In Romans 10, 12, it says, For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all and rich to all who call upon him. Do you want the rich sap from the vine to flow in your being? He is rich to all who call upon him. And uh, who is him? Who is the Lord? You know, uh, Daniel was saying, Oh, Lord. Um, Here it says he's rich to all who call upon him. Him is Jesus Christ, right? He's the Lord Jesus. Jesus is his name. Jesus is the highest name in the universe. The day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we have the opportunity... Uh, to call Jesus right now, today, Lord Jesus. 
at the end of the Bible, Revelation 20, 22, it's almost the last verse, just a few verses from the end. Uh, this is John's response. The Lord says, I come quickly. And John's response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, then lastly, five, it says, uh, again, this is a practical handle on how to live in the mingled spirit. Five says, a life of being in the ministry. Um, In the book of Acts, when the church was, was just coming into being, it says that they continued steadfastly in the teaching and fellowship of the apostles. You know, they had the scriptures from the Old Testament... Um, they also had Jesus' words that he spoke with them for three and a half years. Um, and the, the apostles were there uh, teaching and fellowshipping concerning these matters. Uh, and that teaching and fellowship of the apostles is the ministry of the New Testament. It's the New Covenant ministry. And this ministry... Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul was, was such a minister, a minister of the New Covenant. And uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven two, he says this, For I am jealous over you, Corinthians, with a jealousy of God. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul, as a minister of the New Covenant, uh, he was telling the Corinthians that his ministry was a betrothing ministry. When we are in the the ministry of the new covenant, which is the teaching and fellowship of the apostles, we should uh, feel that we're being uh, betrothed to Christ. When you read the New Testament ministry, you should fall in love with Christ. That's one thing that the New Testament ministry does. It causes us to fall in love with Christ. It doesn't cause us to criticize others. That's the law. That's the old covenant. It doesn't cause us to judge people. It causes us to fall in love with Christ. That's the New Testament ministry. It betroths us to Christ and it supplies us with Christ. Regardless of the difficulties and hardships in our daily life, we are supplied when we read and fellowship uh, concerning the New Testament ministry. In fact, you could say that's a litmus test of whether it's really the New Testament ministry or not. Does it betroth you to Christ? Does it supply you with Christ? If not, it might be something else, right? But to develop this habit while you're young of not only uh, having morning revival, confessing your sins, being in the Word of God, and praying and pray reading and calling on the name of the Lord, how about also being in the New Testament ministry? And when Paul wrote to Timothy, he charged Timothy to be in these things, the things that he was teaching. Okay, very good. Then we come to the last point. It says, when we abide in Christ as the true vine... We have the church life. We, that's the church life. Branches abiding in the vine. Uh, and if you look at the verses at the top again from John 15, verse 12, 
it says that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And verse 17 says, I command you that you may love one another. These are the branches loving one another. And sandwiched in between is the Lord saying, I have chosen you, I have set you, that you should go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. This is the living and operation of the organism of the triune God. The vine with all the branches. For, for the multiplication of Christ, for the spread of Christ, and for His expression on the earth. The branches loving one another, bearing remaining fruit, uh, and that glorifies the Father. Amen.